Welcome to Creation, Teaching Truth with Confidence, a biblical training program for teens and above. Now let's join Mike as he teaches about how to respond to biblical arguments used to support millions of years. Our subject is responding to biblical arguments used to support millions of years. And in this subject, we're going to have five lessons. And lesson number one will have these topics. Warnings from God, the second Peter 3.8 challenge, the word day does not always mean a literal day, and God could have used evolution. In lesson two, we'll have these topics. Creation is a secondary doctrine, so let's not focus on it. How could the first three days be literal days if the sun was not created until day four? And using modern science to interpret scripture. In lesson three, we will cover the gap theory. In lesson four, we'll talk about Genesis is not meant to be taken literally, problems with progressive creationism, and that's just your interpretation or opinion about the six days of creation. In the last lesson, lesson five, we'll discuss the Genesis chapter 2 verse 4 solution, how could Adam name all the animals in one day, and the biblical consistency test. Now, our lesson one objectives will include, one, Given a series of Bible verses that warn us about false teachers, state key words in each of the verses. Two, state two reasons why 2 Peter 3 does not support the days of creation were long ages. Three, if the word day can have multiple meanings, how can we determine what it means in Genesis 1? And four, state three problems with the statement, God could have used evolution. Now, there are many warnings in the Bible, especially the New Testament. Almost every book of the New Testament gives us warnings about false teachers. We're going to look at just five of those verses about false teachers in this lesson. And our first warning will come out of Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, and it reads, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, notice the underlying words here. Those are the words you're going to need to remember to complete this verse when we come to our final exercise here. Now, let's start with the word cheat. What does that mean? Well, cheat is a term used for robbery. And what this verse is saying is that it's talking about false teachers who are going to come in and rob you of the truth of God's word. And we need to be discerning so we can recognize truth from false teachings. Now, our second warning comes out of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, and it reads, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cutting craftiness of deceitful plotting. Now, this verse, Paul is talking about new believers who are not grounded in their faith, but this could also include people who have been sitting in churches for 10 years who are also not grounded in their faith. And it's talking about that you are susceptible. If you're not grounded in your faith, you are susceptible to agreeing with or accepting false teaching. We must learn to be discerning so we can again tell the truth from false doctrines. Now, our third Warning comes out of 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, and it reads, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Now, one of Satan's greatest tools is mis 
representing God's word, distorting God's word. In other words, what he's telling us is men and women will come in teaching in the name of God, but instead introduce destructive heresies and false beliefs. We must be discerning. Now, our fourth warning comes out of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, and it reads, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Now, notice the words, For the time will come. Paul is talking about the future here. He's talking about a time will come when teachers will come in, teaching and preaching what they want you to hear, but not the truth of God's Word. These verses sound like something that is happening today in many of our churches and our Christian universities. It is called the teaching of evolutionism and the teaching of millions of years. Now, our fifth and final warning comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, and it reads, But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now, what does this verse mean? Well, this verse takes us back to the book of Genesis. And what it's telling us is this, that the tactics Satan used in the Garden of Eden against Adam and Eve will be the same tactics and strategy he's going to use against you today. Now, what was that strategy? What was, what was Satan's tactics? I refer to them as the three Ds. Deception, doubt, and denial. In the Garden of Eden, all Adam and Eve had heard up to this point is what their Creator God had told them. But here comes Satan now, the serpent. And he deceives Eve. He misrepresents God's word. Now again, up to this point, all Eve had heard is what God had taught him, what her creator had taught. And now Eve is presented with the dilemma. Who is she to believe? Is she to believe her creator or a created being called the serpent Satan? And since Eve let this discussion continue, she began to harbor doubts about what God had said. And then Adam and Eve deny the very word of God, and fall into sin. And because of that sin, all of creation is now under the curse. Deception, doubt, and denial. So now we are ready for our first challenge. It's called the 2 Peter 3.8 challenge. It is one of the main verses in the Bible used to support millions of years. But remember, we have been warned to trust God's Word. We have been warned to not be deceived. We have been warned to study and accurately handle God's Word. So let's look at this example of deception, doubt, and denial. 2 Peter 3.8. What does it state? But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Right there, doesn't that verse teach? A day can be a long period of time, a thousand years, or even maybe longer. That's why this verse is so popular in using it to support the days of creation were long ages. Second Peter 3.8. 
Two questions we need to ask about this verse. Number one, what does the word day mean in this verse? And secondly, can this be applied to Genesis chapter 1? Now, to answer all of this, we're going to use a three-part answer. Three parts. Part number one is called context. Context matters. We need to keep God's word in the context he gave to us, not add anything to it. Number two, we will look at the style of writing. What style of writing is it? Is it a parable? Is it narrative history? Is it poetry? We'll need to look at the style. And then third, we will come to a conclusion. Now, notice the first two parts, context and style of writing. That is part of what we call the rules of interpretation or hermeneutics. And also, we need to remember 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, where we're told to study to show ourselves approved and correctly handle God's Word. So let's go to part one, context. When we read 2 Peter 3.8, when we read above it and we read the verses below it, we find out 2 Peter 3.8 is not referencing the book of Genesis. It's not talking about the days of creation. It's talking about the end times. It's talking about the characteristics of God. It's saying, it's telling us God created time. He is not bound by time. He is eternal and does not experience time like we do. He knows the beginning from the end. So context, it is not talking about the days of creation or Genesis at all. Now part two is the style of writing. And let's read the verse again. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now, there's a very important word in this verse, and that word is as. That word as turns this verse into what we call a simile or a figure of speech. Now, Mike, what is a figure of speech? A figure of speech is when we use a word or words to paint a picture. In other words, it's not meant to be taken literally. It's to paint a picture about something else. For example, if I were to make this statement, I saw a man run, and he ran like a cheetah. Now, am I calling this man an animal? No, I'm not. What I'm saying is this man runs very fast, and he runs very gracefully. So I'm painting a picture how he ran. Or how about this one? Yesterday... It was raining like cats and dogs here. Now, am I saying cats and dogs are coming down from the clouds? Well, no. What I'm doing is painting a picture of a torrential downpour. In other words, I'm using words to paint a picture. And that's what 2 Peter 3.8 is. It's using words to paint a picture about the character of God and says nothing about the days of creation. It's not meant to be taken literally. So now, we come to part three, our conclusion. Part one, context, was not referencing Genesis or creation. Part two, the style of writing, it's a figure of speech. So now, our conclusion is this. 2 Peter 3.8 cannot be used to change the word day in Genesis 1 to mean long ages, or we are taking God's word out of context. That also violates our rules of hermeneutics. Deception, doubt, and denial. Do not be deceived. Learn the truth. Study and accurately handle God's Word. Now, let's go to our second challenge. 
The word day, or the Hebrew word yom, does not always mean a literal day. And that is true. The word day in Hebrew can have a lot of different meanings. For example, it can mean a literal day, it can mean a period of daylight, mean a season, a year, a distant point in time, or some time in general. Now, if a word can have so many different meanings, how do we know what it means when we read it? Again, context. We must go to the context where that word is used to derive the intended meaning. It's called hermeneutics again, the rules and methods for interpreting the Bible. So once again, we're up against the three Ds, deception, doubt, and denial. And where are we going to go to find out the truth? What has our Creator told us? So let's use the Bible to determine the meaning of the word day in Genesis. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verses 18b and 19, and it states this. And God saw that it was good, so the evening and morning were the fourth day. So we're right in the creation account here, and notice the word day. I have it underlined there. That word day that you see underlined here is the Hebrew word yom, and it's been translated day here in that verse. Why? Because of the context. Notice it's accompanied with a number, ordinal number. It's also bounded by evening and morning, and that always means a literal day in the Old Testament. So that's why it's translated day. Now let's go to some more verses. Let's go to Genesis chapter 4, verse 3, where it states, and in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Now, notice the underlying word there, time. That is actually the Hebrew word yom that we saw in the previous verses was translated day. But here, it is translated time. Why? Again, it is called context. This verse is talking about a growing season or a time period. It's not referencing a, a particular day. It's talking about a whole season. Also, it's not accompanied with an ordinal number, nor is it bounded by evening and morning. So the correct translation here is time, not day. Context matters. Now let's go to Isaiah chapter 30, verse 8, where it reads, Now go, write it before them on a tablet, and note it on a scroll, that it may be for time to come forever and ever. Notice the underlined word time. It is also the Hebrew word yom, but it's been translated time. Why? Because this is not referencing a single day. It's talking about future generations. So the correct translation is time. Also, it's not accompanied with an ordinal number, nor is it bounded by evening and morning. Now let's go to the book of Kings. 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 1, where it states, now King David was old, advanced in years, and they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. Now notice the underlined word years there. That is actually the plural for day, yamim. But notice it's been translated years and not days. Why? Context. It's talking about being very old in age. So the correct translation here would be years, not days. Not very old in days. He's very old in years. Also, it's not accompanied with an ordinal number, nor is it bounded by evening and morning. So, the correct translation would be years, not days. Now, let's go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 18, verse 11, where we read, 
Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. Notice the underlined word age. That is also the plural of yam, yamin. But notice it's been translated age and not today's. Why? Context. Is this getting repetitive here? Context matters how we do our interpretations. See, it's talking about being very old past childbearing. And we don't use days for that. We use ages or years. So the correct translation would be ages here, not days. Also, it's not accompanied with an ordinal number, nor is it bounded by evening and morning. Now, our final one. Let's go to the book of Hosea, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, where it reads, Come, and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn. For he will heal us, he has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up, that we may live in his sight. Now notice here, we have two days and we have a third day. We have a day accompanied with an ordinal number. What does that mean? Well, this, these verses are the only possible verses in the whole Old Testament where a day with a number may not mean a literal day, but only in a very narrow sense. Let's see what this verse is really talking about. Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Number 1, the context is not a reference to the resurrection of Christ, but to the quickness of healing and restoration of Israel. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's a reference to a very short period of time. It could also be a reference to literal days, but it cannot be a reference to long ages. So it's either literal days or it's a very short period of time, but not long ages. That's what we mean by a very narrow sense here. But again, it could mean literal days. So are there any real exceptions? Not really. There's nowhere in the Old Testament where the word day is with a number can be translated to mean millions of years. It has to be a literal day, or in this case, a very quick period of time, maybe a week or so. So, conclusion on the word day. The Hebrew word yom can have a variety of meanings. However, it is the context and genre that determine the true meaning. In Genesis 1, the clear meaning is literal days. And we showed that in our subject, The Days of Creation, where we had 11 biblical references supporting the days of creation were literal days. Now, <clears throat> now let's go to our final challenge. And the challenge is this. God could have used evolution. I want to comment on that statement there. No Christian should ever make that statement. Why? Because it's not a matter of what, what God could have done. It's a matter of what did he do. We cannot change history, and we should not be changing God's word. So here we have another challenge of the three Ds, deception, doubt, and denial. So let's go through and do what the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 2.15. Let's study and accurately handle God's word before we make statements like God could have used evolution. And our verse here is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. Test all things, hold fast what is good. Why is that so important? 
Well, many people in church today, including church leaders and Christian university professors, under the belief that God used evolution or parts of evolution, which includes billions of years. By making this statement, they have attempted to make peace with the world. You see, if God used evolution, then we can have evolution, we can have our Bible, and everybody can just live in harmony. Wrong, folks. Wrong. What we need to do is what the Bible tells us. Go to the Bible and see what it teaches. Let's stop using what man is telling us all the time. Let's go to the source, the truth, God's Word, to get our answers. So we've just read, test all things, hold fast what is good. What that's telling us is our thinking in every area should be the Bible first. It should be our standard by which we measure everything. So, let's do a test here. Does it affect anything in the Bible if we add millions and billions of years? So, let's start with, if, if God used evolution. Let's play this what-if game. If God used evolution, what does that do to the Bible? Well, number one, the plain reading of Scripture in Genesis 1 cannot be understood. Because it clearly states first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. And what we're saying here, if we add millions of years, that's not what it means. So the clear reading no longer is what it means. Secondly, the rules of interpretation, hermeneutics, no longer apply. Because when we look at hermeneutics, we're talking about context, talking about style of writing, clearly teach six days, but we're going to throw all those rules out now. Then, how about Exodus 20, verse 11, commandment number four. You know what God wrote down? Now, remember, God wrote this down on the stone tablets himself. For in six days, the Lord made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. That no longer means what God wrote down, if we're adding millions of years, because we're saying these days are not literal days anymore. Then we can go to the very words of Jesus Christ in Mark 10, verse 6. Jesus, in Mark 10, verse 6, makes this statement. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. What is Jesus telling us? Man and woman were on this planet from the beginning of the creation, not after millions of years. If we add millions of years in there, folks, then Jesus Christ is wrong. And if he's wrong here, folks, then he is not the perfect sacrifice. Also, we look at the Gospel of John. The first three verses of the Gospel of John teach that Jesus, not evolution, was the mechanism of creation. Now we can throw out the first three verses of the Gospel of John. They don't mean what they really say. We've got to change it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 teaches God created all things. That verse is no longer true because now we have evolution in millions of years in there. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, God created all things. We can throw that verse out also. Then evolution changes the Gospel. Millions of years changes the foundation for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because once we add millions of years in there, we have to ask the question, what was going on for those millions of years before Adam and Eve in the fall? It's called the fossil record. That is death. So now we're teaching death, disease, and struggle all occurred before sin. And if sin is not the cause of death, then why did Jesus have to go to the cross? We just destroyed the very foundation of the gospel. And our final one here comes to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26, where it states, The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. How can death be an enemy if God called it very good in Genesis 1.31? See, once we add evolution or millions of years in the Bible, 
we end up with multiple contradictions and changes in Scripture all throughout the Bible. And finally, the statement, God used evolution, is an illogical statement. Why? Because it violates the law of non-contradiction. Oh, Mike, where does that come from? What is the law of non-contradiction? The law of non-contradiction basically states two opposites both can't be true in the same time and context. In other words, you, something can't be true and false at the same time. Or, put it another way, you cannot be there physically and not physically at the same time. That's what the law of non-contradiction teaches. So now, what I'd like to do is go, go through and compare and contrast God's order of creation in Genesis 1 with what the evolutionists teach as their order, how everything came into existence. And we read the Bible. Genesis 1, God creates the earth on day 1 and the stars on day 4. Now notice the, earth, the order here. Earth first, then stars. But the evolutionists teach stars came first, then the earth. Those two are different in order. Means means they, they're opposites. They both can't be true. Then we turn to the next one. On day five, God created the flying creatures, the birds. On day six, the land animals, the reptiles. So it's birds first, then reptiles. But the evolutionists teach reptiles were first, and they evolved into birds. Again, these two are opposite. The Bible also teaches this earth was formed out of a watery mass. The evolutionists teach a can of a hot fireball, a molten mass. Those two are opposites. The Bible teaches God created the land plants on day three and the sun on day four. Evolutionists teach the sun was here first, then came the land plants. Those are opposites. And finally, the Bible teaches man was here first, then came death. Evolutionists teach millions of years of death, disease, and struggle, and then came man. These two are complete opposites, folks. There's only two ways we could have gotten here. Either we were created or we evolved. There are no third choices. And since there's only two choices and these are opposites, that means one of them's right and the other one is wrong. So now let's come to our lesson conclusions. Three things we can conclude here. Number one, the real issue is one of authority. Is God's word the authority or is man's word our authority? Two, a belief in millions of years of evolution not only contradicts the clear teaching of Genesis, but many other parts of Scripture. And three, adding evolution and millions of years changes the character of God to include death as very good. God told us in the book of Genesis that He created the universe and everything in it. And He did it in six days. His word is evidence of how and when and how long it took him to create everything. And his word is very clear on this subject. So now we come to our lesson review. What did we talk about in this lesson? Well, we talked about biblical warnings about false teachers. We answered the second Peter 3.8 challenge. We saw the word day, yom, does not always mean a literal day, but it's context that determines what it means. And we discussed the problem and answered, did God use evolution? So now let's go to our little exam or quiz for this lesson. Complete the following Bible verse. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, 
according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Second, complete the following verse here out of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Next, state two reasons why 2 Peter 3.8 does not support the days of creation were long ages. Well, number one is context. The context is talking about the end times and not Genesis. And two, 2 Peter 3.8 is a figure of speech and not meant to be taken literally. Next, if the word day can have multiple meanings, how can we determine what it means in Genesis 1? Very easy answer. Context and type of literature being used. So context matters and the type of literature or genre matter. That helps us determine the meaning of words or verses. Next, state three problems with the statement, God could have used evolution. Number one, it's not a matter of what God could have done. It's a matter of what did he do. We cannot change history. Two, it violates the law of non-contradiction. The order of events are completely opposite between what the Bible teaches and what evolutionists teach. Three, many parts of Scripture must change to accommodate evolution and long ages. And four, it changes the foundation for the gospel and the character of God. You only had to give two of these, but there were four very important reasons not to use statements like God used evolution. That now brings us to the end of Lesson 1 in responding to biblical arguments used to support millions of years. In the second lesson, number two, we will cover these topics. Creation is a secondary doctrine, so let's not focus on it. How could the first three days be literal days that the sun was not created until day four? And using modern science to interpret scripture. Should we do that? You've just watched some information we believe will assist you in your Bible study time. Now we post these videos on our website for free access. However, it does take time and resources to produce training like this. You can help us continue to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth about God's creation by writing to us or financially supporting the ministry of Creation Training Initiative. Our address is CTI, Post Office Box 2415, Eagle, Idaho 83616. Or you can donate online by going to our website, creationtraining.org, or simply send us a note by email, info at creationtraining.org.